Well, we're going to be dealing with 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. And uh, one thing I want from you tonight is I want this to be interactive. There are several places throughout I'm going to stop and uh, we'll, just, we'll just take a moment to, to discuss. So please be in tune and ready to answer. Kind of thinking ahead. What's he going to be asking? And uh, let's, let's work through this and grow through this together. This particular verse, I believe, is one that if we can get an awareness of it, a, an understanding of it, if we can really grasp what is being said here and we can apply it appropriately, that it is something that will strengthen our walk with Christ. I believe that it will uh, strengthen our obedience to God. It will uh, increase our effectiveness in service, our effectiveness in witness. I think there's so many aspects of, of our spiritual life that will be greatly affected if we follow what is told us here, if we get an understanding and we put it into practice. And so listen very carefully. Let's, let's read this verse together. If you would, the verse is on the screen for you. If you got it in your Bible, that's fine. But let's read this verse out loud together. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now think about what was happening in order for this verse to be delivered. Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and Timothy was this, uh, best I can tell, he was still a very young man, and he was probably a very mild-mannered person, just a, a really great person to hang around. He wasn't outspoken. He wasn't loud-mouthed. You would think of him and Paul being very compatible because Paul was probably that very aggressive, very loud, outspoken person. And Timothy was one that was probably right the opposite. Now, I don't imagine anywhere in Scripture you can go to and see that, but just from what Paul was talking to Timothy concerning in these passages brings out the understanding that probably that's the case, that Timothy was just a very mild person. Now, in Timothy's position, he was leading a church or leading a group of people, and in that position, it presented a problem for him to be in this uh, soft-spoken type personality. Because of the fact that others seemed to be maybe running over him a little bit, maybe telling him what was going to happen instead of as the leader of the group, him telling them. Him being young and then not being outspoken would have created quite a problem for him. And so Paul is writing to him and he's saying, Timothy, buddy, you've got a responsibility. You've got to lead. You are to be the leader there. You take that responsibility seriously. Don't worry about what other people say, what other people think, because God's not given us that spirit. God's not given us that spirit of fear for which you should be worrying about what everybody's thinking, what everybody's going to do. Man, you just get out there and lead. You do what you're supposed to do. And so he tells us that God's not given us the spirit of fear. What applied to Timothy applies very well to us also. God has not given us the spirit of fear. God's not given us this spirit of cowardness. The, the, uh, the character of cowardness is not to exist in the life of the believer. It's not to be part of our existence. We are to be those who boldly proclaim the news of Jesus Christ. And so 
It's not to be part of our lives. I read a definition, and it's, it's almost an illustrated definition. It's not just a definition, but it kind of illustrates what it's talking about. And I think this is a pretty good definition of that word fear. It's to be afraid of men or devils, of what they will say or what they will do. And so as to be discouraged in, to sink under or be deterred from the work of God. That's the character of cowardness. To be afraid of what men or devils will say or do to the point that it prevents us from being effective as children of God. And so Paul is telling Timothy, man, you can't allow that to happen. You've got a responsibility. You've got a job to do. Get out there and get it done. We have not been given the spirit of fear. Now, I think it's beneficial for us to think through this and consider what this spirit of fear does to us. Okay, if I allow the spirit of fear to control my life, if I allow the spirit of fear to overwhelm me, how is it going to affect my, me as a Christian? And this is where I want you to engage now. Okay, so where or, or how is the spirit of fear in the life of a Christian going to affect them? How's it going to affect ministry? How's it going to affect life? How's it going to affect family? What are the things that the spirit of fear will cause us not to do that we should be doing or do that we shouldn't be doing? Somebody think through that and throw something out for me. Okay. The spirit of fear will cause me not to witness the way I'm supposed to. Why? Because I'm afraid of what somebody's going to say or they're going to do. They're going to embarrass me. They're going to put me on the spot. Are they going to know more than I do? Are they going to ask a question I can't answer? Uh, is it acceptable for me to say something to someone? This spirit of fear will, will stymie the Great Commission. It will prevent us from moving forward in what God has called us to do. So the spirit of fear cannot be part of our lives. Okay, What else would it prevent me from doing or cause me to do that I either should or shouldn't be doing? Okay, living a Christ-like life. I go to work and yet I'm ashamed because somebody is going to see me acting like a Christian. Going to think I'm something, something spiritual and I don't want them to think I'm some Holy Joe or something. Say that one more time. Yes. If we have the spirit of fear, it can't prevent us from loving God, can it? Because we're not going to engage the way we're supposed to. In fact, this all surrounds, we're going to be coming to that in just a minute, in fact. What else? Okay, it can prevent us, paralyze us, as Belinda said, from, from making decisions in everyday life. Decisions that God is directing us to make. I mean, if God is leading our paths, then He's calling us to be, to be uh, obedient to where He's leading us. And yet, because of fear, I'm so afraid to step out. Now, I can remember when God called me to preach, to be a preacher. Uh, there were two times that fear was really strong over me. I wasn't afraid to step out and live by faith. I'd seen that with my dad and mom. I'd lived that myself when I started my insurance agency. I knew what that was about. But I was very much afraid that, that uh, I would step out by faith to, to become a preacher, go to school, and whatever, to find out that God was saying, why did you do that? Yeah, you... 
You had an insurance. I didn't call you out of that. I was afraid I wasn't really hearing what God was saying. The other time I was fearful was, uh, man, it just skipped my mind. So, Oh, well. So fear can prevent us from doing what God calls us to do. What else can it prevent us from doing? That's really good thought. Fear and faith cannot work together. You don't find them working together. Uh, you are building on one, you're growing one, or you're growing the other. And so if we allow fear to overwhelm us, growing in our faith is something that is just virtually impossible. Absolutely. What else? Say it again. Don't listen to the devil. Yeah, he would definitely direct us toward fear, wouldn't he? He would love for us to be overwhelmed by it. Ralph? Fear, an acrostic for fear, forceful emotions, anticipating ruin. That's exactly. If we're not growing in our faith, that's where it's going to take us, to ruin. It's a way that seems right to a man, the end thereof, the death and destruction. Yeah. Okay, he said being afraid in the home of your teenagers. Um, Teenagers can be very uh, fear-provoking, uh, fear can't they? Uh, those of us who have raised them or been around them, we can be very intimidated by teenagers. And yet God's given us a responsibility to lead our families, to lead our teenagers, to train them, to equip them, to discipline them. Uh, and yet if we're so afraid, uh, you know, we're trying to be their friend instead of their parent, and we're afraid we're going to lose that friendship. And we won't do what we've been called to do. Anything else? Okay. It would bring about questioning of God. Instead of obedience, we stop and question. Now, there's a level to which asking questions is acceptable. But when we are not moving where God wants us to go, we're just stepping back saying, no. I just can't believe that. God, you didn't say that. Then all of a sudden we're crossing a line that's very dangerous. So we get in. Anybody have anything else real quick? Don't want to waste time, but I don't want to miss anybody. You moved that hand. You almost got caught. <laughs> it's like an auctioneer. I'm spotting everything. So then this, this is... Uh, is something that should not engage the life of a child of God. Because God has called us to pick up our cross and follow Him. He's called us to be a good soldier, to fight the good fight. God has called us into the battle. This isn't a life that is expected to be smooth sailing all the way through. He's called us to move forward, not to be gripped by fear to where we back away from what He's called us to do. So then, cowardness, dread of 
of danger, shrinking away from our duty because we're afraid of what somebody else may, might think. We're afraid of persecution. It's not something that God gives to us. God does not give us the spirit of fear. So then a follow-up question to that would be, okay, if God did not give us the spirit of fear, then from where did that spirit originate? Where did that spirit originate? I think there's a couple of answers here. Maybe three, maybe more, three that I thought of. Where did it originate? From the sin nature. That was not the one I expected to hear first. But that's exactly right. So many times we try blaming everything on something else. We'll talk about that in a second. But actually we have a sin nature that was, that was handed down through the blood from Adam. And this sin nature will cause us to do all kinds of things. This sin nature will wrap us up in fear if we're not careful. One of the problems we have is that since God didn't give this, He gave us something else. He gave us the Spirit of God, and through the Spirit of God, we have power, we have love, and we have a sound mind. Through the Spirit of God. But if we're not submitted to God to where the Spirit of God can work through us, then all of a sudden it's just what we can do on our own. And a lot of times that ends up in fear. And actually there's good reason to be fearful if I'm not obedient and submitted to God. I ought to be fearful because of the fact that God's discipline is, is coming. God's going to bring me back to this best place for me. And so his discipline is upon me. So, sin nature. My old sin nature. I can bring it upon myself. Where else could we find maybe uh, this, uh, this fear originating? Okay, from Satan. From the great enemy. That's the one I expected to be said first. From the great enemy. The enemy of man. Man, he had a vested interest in, in causing Timothy not to be the leader in the church that Timothy was supposed to be. And in fact, he's got a vested interest in doing the same thing in our lives. He has a vested interest in causing us to be so fearful that we don't witness, that we don't serve, that we don't communicate God's love with other people, that we don't communicate with God, that we question God. All of these things, Satan has a vested interest. And I'm not saying every time we have an issue with fear that Satan's behind it. I don't think we ought to give him that much credit because we can do a pretty good job of that by ourselves. But I do think that he has a vested interest and he will work to bring about those results if, it's abs if, it, if it is at all possible. And so the enemy can do that. I think there's one more, and this is kind of stretching it, so I'm not going to ask you to try figuring out what I'm thinking. But I think other people can also intimidate us and bring fear upon us. We allow that to happen, uh, and probably, potentially, that's what was going on with Tim Timothy. You know, these other people are a little more dominant, a little more forceful, and therefore... He was kind of cowering under what they were saying and what they were doing. He was kind of afraid to push the buttons because they were going to get mad and blow up. Those of us that are people pleasers, uh, we know what that is. If you're not a people pleaser and you've got an advantage, there is an advantage to being meek and mild. There is an advantage to being soft-spoken. There is an advantage to, uh, uh, to not being uh, uh, very forceful. But there are also advantages to the opposite. There are also advantages to those things that, that uh, are advantages for the other side. 
There are advantages. And Paul was saying, yeah, you've got this stuff going on. Humility thing is definitely what God wants from us. But God also wants you when it's time not to be bound up by your fear, but to step out in faith and move forward for the glory of God. So he said, God's not given us the spirit of fear. But then he laid out some things that God has given to us. He said, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. God's given us the character of power, the character of love, the character of sound mind. God's given to us this disposition. Now, I think it's good maybe to reiterate something we said earlier uh, in passing, but to maybe make it a little more plain and blunt. And that is that we have to understand and not get confused that what is going on here is not something that I manufacture. It's not something that I orchestrate or I, I've earned somehow. This is God giving to me power, love, and a sound mind. Okay, this, is, this is God's working in me through the Holy Spirit. This is not me bringing it about and God said, man, you're so incredible. I'm going to give you some power. No. So then he says, God has given to us this spirit of power. Okay, let's walk through this for a second. The spirit of power. Power means Christian courage, fortitude, strength from God. Uh, I was thinking about this and I thought, okay, if we're talking about the power that comes from God, what benefit is that to us? And here's where I want you to be involved again. What benefit is it to us that God provides us with power? What can we do with the power of God that we cannot do without it? Share something with me. Okay, there is the reassurance. Anytime God's at work in our lives, it ought to give us courage. It ought to reassure us. Uh, certainly. What else? Okay, it helps us resist temptation. The power of God is that which brings about an ability to overcome the enemy. Rich? Okay, to, to ask and receive because we asked in faith. Yeah, there's something about the power of God that strengthens us in every level of our spiritual walk. Power of God that helps us overcome the mindset of weakness, helps us overcome the enemy, helps us overcome temptation. All of these things are included in the power of God. Let me just name a couple of these things. It's power to resist temptation, to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ, to not decline from our duty because of the danger threatening us and its performance. That's the spirit of fear. But it enables us to encounter the greatest dangers and difficulties and persecution for the spreading of the gospel. It's the power to overcome obstacles that stand in the way of the godly, the power to encounter foes and danger, power to bear up under trials, the power to triumph in persecutions. That's the nature of the power of God. That's what God wants to provide us. Power to overcome, to be overcomers. 
God wants to provide his children. Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So then, the power of God is something that as I submit to God, God does through me through His Holy Spirit. He also gives me power through His Word. It opens my heart. It opens my mind. The more I understand the Word of God, the less fearful I am. The more I submit myself to God and I follow His plan, the less fearful I am. But then that's where this next one comes into play. He's also given us the spirit of love. Spirit of love. If the power of God is the strength of God in my life, then the love of God that He provides me through the working of the Holy Spirit is the fuel or the inspiration for that power. It's, it's what fuels the power. Uh, certainly the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit. The second great commandment is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The more I am a person who, who has the Spirit of God producing love in my life to bring about these things, the more power I'm going to possess. The more I trust God, the more I love God, the more His power will benefit me. Because I grow to understand it. I grow to accept it. I grow to, to be inspired by it, to be pushed by it, to be motivated by it. Nothing we can do will inspire us to courage, to face danger and persecution and difficulties more than we'll love in our lives. It's the total package. It's what God brings to us. You think about it this way. A very meek and mild person uh, will be moved to fight when he really loves his country or he really loves his spouse or he really loves his family or his home or his church when someone rises up to harm them. Someone who really loves their country willing to fight for their country. Someone who really loves their wife, willing to stand up and fight if it's necessary to protect. Why? Because there's a love inside that is greater for that person or that entity than for the self. The same is true when I have a love of God the way I'm supposed to. And I have a love for God's people the way I'm supposed to. And I have a love for lost people the way I'm supposed to. It will cause me to do things that typically would be so fearful for me. Because my love overwhelms that fear. 1 John 4, 8, I believe it is. John says, perfect love cast out fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love cast it out. This perfect love that I have for God and for His people and for lost people is that which God uses in my life to overcome fear. In fact, it pushes it away because no longer does it really matter if I happen to get harmed in this situation. Because those that I love need what I'm getting ready to share. And it becomes more important to me than my own safety. That's why we have missionaries like the Gages who were in Kosovo, like... 
the, the uh, Arces who are in Venezuela. They're, they're in very dangerous areas. And we could say that for every one of our missionaries. They're out presenting the gospel, whether it's even in America or somewhere else. And they're putting themselves in jeopardy. But you know what? It doesn't really matter to them. Because their love for these people is greater than the fear they have for themselves. That's why they're willing to leave their homes. That's why they're willing to go to distant countries. Man, it's much more comfortable here. I mean, you may go to a place that's extremely comfortable, but it's still not home. It may become home to you. I imagine for Russ and Leon, Costa Rica is more like home than here now. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish you guys liked it here more, but I'm kidding. But that's the reason our missionaries are willing to do that, because they have such a love for the people whom they're trying to reach. It causes them to forego the concerns and the fears of what they're leaving behind or what they're going to. When y'all went to Costa Rica the first time, did you drive down? You flew down. Somebody, oh, Roy was talking the other night, saying that uh, when he and his dad and family went to Costa Rica to language school, they drove through Mexico down to Costa Rica. Now, it's not, probably wasn't as dangerous back then as it is now, but uh, I can't imagine wanting to do that. And yet, if you've got to love God in your heart, it causes you to do things that others wouldn't do. Because they're wrapped up in fear. Or maybe they haven't been called to it, but the fear would prevent many of us from going that direction. Jesus talked about this love, John 15, 13. Actually, that verse, 1 John 4, 18. I said 4, 8. But the, the one here where Jesus is talking, John 15, 13. Greater love, there's no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friend. He's overcome fear. He's cast it out. Fear's gone. He's ready to die if that's what it requires. This is what God has given to us. He's given us the spirit of power. He's given us the spirit of love. Love fuels. It inspires the power that God has given to us. And then finally, this third one. He's given to us the spirit of a sound mind. Or, I guess a better way to understand that, the spirit of self-control. Spirit of self-control. I think that just as love is the inspiration for the power, self-control is what causes us to use it properly. Now think about it. Is it possible to use the power of God in an unwise way? I believe that, that God gives us that reign. And how can we use power God gives us in an unwise way. Think about that. Anybody have a thought on it? How can we use what God has given us in an unwise way? Linda? Okay, false prophets. Uh, God gives us a heart or a desire, some of us, to learn more about the future. And some people will take that and build on it. I have known people that because they were so much in the limelight, they always had to have something new. And they ended up going way too far. Uh, what else? Okay. 
Okay, sound mind is going to do the opposite. It's going to cause us to reject a false doctrine. It's going to cause us to reject going too far. Certainly, that is definitely the case. Russ? That's ex exactly right. We can, uh, those who are in a position of leadership, a position of authority, ha who have God's direction on their lives to lead, instead of leading in love, lead to the point of, of just abuse. That's very much misuse of God's power. Uh, you can misuse the scriptures. God's given us the ability to know His plan of salvation. And He's told us to go in love, to reach others. And we can go instead with condemnation. We can try to lead people. We can serve not out of a heart of gratitude to God for what He's done for us. Not out of a heart that's wanting to give God glory. But in fact, a heart that's saying, look at me. Look at what I've done. So then in trying to, instead of trying to put the focus on God, what we're really doing is saying, hey, would you focus that light over here a little bit? I want everybody to see me. And so there's a real danger here in abusing the power that God has given to us. The danger is that we step out of line. We step out of God's will and God's direction. It's very dangerous for one who is leading in a church. Very dangerous for us to misuse the power of God. But I think it's also very dangerous for anyone to do so. And God said, I've not given you that. I've given you the spirit of a sound mind so that you use wisely what I've given to you. So that you take it and you orchestrate it. You use it in such a way that it's going to present Jesus Christ in the best light that's possible. That you're going to point to me. You're going to point to the Savior. You're going to point to, to that which is, is heavenly and far above mankind. And you're going to give the glory to where it's due because you're thinking properly. Now, how do we obtain the proper type of thinking? It's something that God gives. But I think He gives through our submission. When I'm submitted to God, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be engaging Scripture. God grows my wisdom. He transforms my mind. He transforms my thoughts through the Word of God. And so He teaches me to be of a sound mind. He teaches me to use with wisdom that which He's given to me. And so I engage the Scriptures. I, I listen to those who are teaching. And I listen with a critical ear because I want to make sure that what they're teaching me is right. I want to make sure that you ought to be saying this to yourself. Is He really telling me the truth? Because we saw Sunday night in that little quiz, I am capable of mistakes. And so you ought to be questioning. You ought to be searching the Scriptures. Is that right? Is that really accurate? And if it's not right, if it's not accurate, you ought to be talking to me. Not in a hateful, condemn, uh, con, uh, condemning way, but just coming and saying, Hey, you know what? I thought about this. How does this line up with your thoughts of Scripture? Let's look at it together. 
You know what? That doesn't aggravate me. I've, I've had, in fact, uh, Daddy told me something this week that, that he thought maybe I had said incorrectly. I'm not even sure that it was scripture related now. It wasn't. It, was, it had to do with the Amazon. <laughs> the Amazon doesn't run through Panama, but uh, <laughs> it may embarrass me a little, but uh, it doesn't make me mad. Now, you can come in the wrong way and probably make me mad. Uh, I try not to get mad, but you probably can. But if you came to me in love and just said, you know what? You said this, but this part of the scripture says something else. What is, let's, try to, let's try to understand this. I, I want to grow, too. I want to know. So we have a responsibility to be of a sound mind, to be in a place like this and growing. We have a responsibility in our our quiet time with God, to be growing, to be learning, to open our hearts to the working of the Holy Spirit so that He will develop in us the right mind. I think the opposite of a sound mind is a meek and sickly mind. One that's staggering at every danger. Just not thinking clearly. If I'm thinking clearly, I know that God loves me. And I know that everything that comes into my life, whether it's good or bad, somehow is going to work out for my good and His glory, if I love Him. And so it develops a trust. This sound mind develops a trust to know that, you know what? I don't like any part of what's happening right now. But I know that God's got a reason for it. And so I'm just going to trust him. That's what a sound mind does. Sound mind doesn't say, oh, I can't believe this. This is scaring me to death. And there might be fear associated with it, but it's not going to prevent us from trusting God and moving forward in what he has for us. And so God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He's given to us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So then, the final question, and I'm not going to ask you to speak to this, but just to think about it, is okay, it's what God's given. Am I really tapping into that resource? Am I really submitted to God to the point that the Spirit of God is working in me to produce these things, and I am an effective servant of God? think about that well uh, we're going to receive our offering in just a second I honestly I don't know of a whole lot that needs to be announced other than just a couple of months from now we will be having Operation Outreach and this is a really incredible ministry where we reach out to the homeless and needy in our area and that we'll literally have an opportunity to touch the lives of three or four or more hundred people and so uh, please be in prayer about it, asking God to bless and to work through it, to make us bold for Him here. Because I tell you what, when you come into a place where you don't know people, especially if you've got a little introvert inside of you, then it's easy to kind of get off in a corner and talk to people you know instead of going and engaging our guests. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to engage our guests. So let's pray for boldness. That God will use us 
to really make a difference, to really impact people's lives while we're here.